Content warning. Mental enslavement, drug use, cults, mental illness, anti-Semitism, homophobia and transphobia, and plenty o centipedes. Action! Excitement! Horror! Romance! Thrills and chills! Swords and sorcery! Rockets and ray guns! A dizzying panoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination! What mad universe encompasses such tales as these? Join us as we bear witness to the sweeping sprawl of all the history that never was and all the futures that could yet be. It's adventure as you like it on What What Mad Universe. Anywhere, the war between the sexes split the planet into armed camps right down the middle line, divides one thing from the other, and I have seen them all, flesh films of Minroud, insect hairs through grey-purple flesh of the scorpion people, the severed heads, in tanks of sewage, to sell the ground from unborn feet forever, the line disappears through a green door, slide down to the subterranean baths, Twisting through torch flats, the melodious boy cries drift out of ventilators in all the locker rooms, barracks, schools, and prisons of the world, at the immediate risk of finding myself the most unpopular character of all fiction, and history is fiction, I must say this, you are reading the future, the blood smells drowned voices and end of the line, storm the reality studio and retake the universe. Equipped not with sound and image track of the control machine, I was in position to dismantle it. I had only to mix the order of recordings and the order of images, and the changed order would be picked up and fed back into the machine, famine weakening control lines. I cut radio static into the control music and festival recordings together with sound and image track of rebellion. Retroactive amnesia and out of every fucking mind screen in the area if we have to. How long you want to bat this tired old act around? Now by all your stupid gods at once, let's not get this show on the road, let's stop it. Universe, welcome to What Mad High! I'm Adam Prosser, with me is Philip Rice. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and welcome to a very strange episode of What Mad Universe. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, the Nova Trilogy by William S. Burroughs, particularly uh, the Nova Express. Um, which was uh, a series of books, or three books, or 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 are they? We can't even say for sure if there are three books, uh, written in the 50s by, of course, William S. Burroughs, one of the preeminent uh, beat writers of the time. And um, it's, uh, it's not really even a novel, and yet I do want to talk about it... Uh, Precisely because I think this has had a major impact on uh, a lot of things, including the kind of uh, sci-fi and pulp literature that we talk about. Uh, oddly enough, you know, he's he's usually put in the experimental poetry and literary uh, section of things, but um, his ideas have definitely had an impact on science fiction and uh, and fantasy. Um, I know, uh, Phil. You said you were a little bit uh, you you weren't sure about finding a way into this episode, right? You you were a little concerned. yeah. Uh, I feel like this is maybe above my weight class in terms of analysis. I don't know. Yeah, well, or, I mean, I, or maybe below. I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to get a handle on on what the hell this is. I mean, I read all of it, but right. Did I? Yeah. It 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 was yeah because. Yeah, I've said I've said for a lot of episodes, you know, this is a weird one, folks. But man, this is a weird one, folks. <laughs> um, well, we should. Uh... Yeah, it's it's like the narr like the it's it's broken up into. Um, I we'll talk about the cut up thing later, but there's there's sections that are cut up and sections that are narrative, and and others that sort of blend between the two. And it's hard to pick out what's going on exactly, you know, narrative-wise at any point. 
Right. It's, it's very confusing. Like there, there's there's obviously themes going through it, and um, you start to to notice patterns. But I don't know it. Like I, I have nothing against say abstract painting, um, but it's never something I've been very good at uh, analyzing. You know, right. I, I I can look at a Jackson Pollock and say you know it's pretty or whatever, but um, I don't know how to. I don't have the vocabulary to to dig into it, and I'm worried that that I, it's the same thing with this. Well, I I think that's I I think that is actually, in a sense, that's the right frame of mind to approach this. I mean, not that I know either. I'm not going to pretend like I have uh, a great knowledge of this either. And I think I, I uh, at this remove in 2020, looking back on stuff that was written in the late 50s, early 60s, I think we can, we can say things about it that are complimentary, and we can say things about it that are not as complimentary. Uh, but I think, um, I think generally speaking, um, the attitude of the beat writers and maybe Burroughs in particular uh, was that they were not trying to um, one of the, one of their big uh, ideas was uh, as the, 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 I believe it's actually a Burroughs line that pops up, which is uh, to uh, uh, annihilate the consciousness, which is of course a Buddhist idea. And they were inspired by uh, Buddhist ideas Um and it's the idea of like if we can get around the conscious processing of information and just go into something completely subconscious, um, and and to that end, that's what Burroughs uh, did here. He he literally made uh, these books out of cut up words that he'd written at an earlier date, something that he or that came word. from other sources. There's right, uh, right. There's stuff from other books and speeches and things like that. And taken from, I believe, newspapers, a lot of uh, Nova Expresses from newspapers. Right. I mean, even the title Nova Express is a, is a, yeah. a newspaper reference. And yeah, he took, he took uh, headlines and, and, and dates from newspapers. He also, I mean, at one point you can recognize a T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland uh, starts popping up, which is understandable because that was probably a big influence on this. Uh, James Joyce and T.S. Eliot probably... Uh, were both uh, major influences on this. They had a similar sort of stream of consciousness style to what they were doing. Um, and, oh, um, just sorry, that this is stupid, but that just makes me think of cats. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, cats is the movie. Cats has poisoned the T.S. Eliot discourse forever. Well, that's yeah. actually no, no. I just uh, it would have been funny if this book started talking about Mungo Jerry and yeah. old Deuteronomy well, and stuff. Anyway, sorry. And yet, and yet, well, but I mean, you you will laugh, but the the ridiculousness of it is actually something that I think uh, people like Burroughs were trying to get at, like they were trying to juxtapose uh, weirdness. And both Joyce and Eliot uh, made up words. Burroughs didn't really make up words as much as he took words that he liked and kind of attributed new meanings to them. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's somewhat of the same uh, idea, I think. And, um, yeah, there, there's a few like uh, Interzone, which is uh, from the international zone of, in Morocco at the time, I believe he lived in briefly. Yeah, um, Tangiers. But that, he, yeah, most of what he wrote here, like most of the stuff that is that's his not writing, in this book, by the way. That's Naked Lunch. Um, right. Which, well, that's uh, the thing. No, but but here's the thing. He wrote uh, a ton of stuff in uh, Tangiers, in Interzone, if you like, um, which then he took and chopped it up. Most of Naked Lunch was written there, but then most of this substance of this this book or these books were written in that same place and just cut up and rewritten. And what he would do, as I understand it, the cut-up method is literally you, you, you start cutting up sentences and fragments of what, you, what, you, uh, what you're playing with, uh, in some cases literally cutting a page in half and juxtaposing it with a different page or... Um, or just cutting up sentences and uh, and then putting them together. I think in some cases, literally just dropping them onto the paper. And then you'll see two fragments of a sentence and you'll write something to fill in the two sentences. That was something he did a few times. There's a number of different ways they did it. But the point is to sort of... He, he also uh, uh, adopted fold-in as a, a variation of cut-up where you're folding pages together. Right. Um, like, I guess, a Mad Magazine thing. I don't know how yeah. it worked exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, no, again, I think that's what it was where he would cut the paper, uh, cut the page literally in half, uh, put a page of something else next to it, 
and sort of and and on the other side he'd put another page and, and basically yeah it, it was like physically you'd see half the page uh with one thing and the other half would be with the other. Uh, if you looked, uh, I showed you the, if you looked at the movie, uh, I linked to actually, maybe you didn't see the one. No, uh, I, but I, I watched the one you, you sent me the, um, uh, what was it? Towers. Towers open fire was the, yeah. the, the, the film he made. Um, and, and it was, uh, with starring Burroughs. Uh, there was another, I, I guess it was one of the other ones. I watched a couple of the cut up films that he made at the same time that he was making, uh, these books. He was, he was appearing in films. I mean, he was not the director technically, but he was working heavily with the director and he was the star of the movie and it was all his words and so on. And, um, yeah, he, they uh, mentioned the Mayan caper a couple times. So that's a, that's yeah, a thing of, from, uh, soft machine. Yeah, one of them is called The Last Words of Hassani Saba, and it's actually probably the most coherent one in terms of uh, understanding it. And it has text, which, again, you can recognize it very clearly from, uh, I think, Soft Machine. It's in there anyway. Almost everything he says is in these books. Uh, but he literally shows it starting with him cutting a page in half and putting a page of something else that has also been cut in half next to it and then reading what he says. Uh, and it becomes, you know, less... It, it becomes... <laughs> gibberish but it it you know you can see that it's two pages that have been juxtaposed in physical space which i believe is actually important to the method it's the idea of like well we're physically rearranging them in space and time uh in order to <laughs> to create a new meaning um it's probably best understood not as a novel but as poetry right um it's essentially three books of poetry of stream of consciousness poetry um yeah with some some narrative in there Right. I mean, there are characters even that who, who appear. Uh, literally, the Nova Mob is uh, a significant uh, group of characters. Oh yeah, um, I do like the names of the Nova Mob. Uh, <laughs> I have them: uh, Sammy the Butcher, Green Tony, Iron Claws, the Brown Artist, Jackie Blue Note, Limestone John, Izzy the Push, Hamburger Mary, Patty the Sting, the Subliminal Kid, Blue Dinosaur, Mister and Mrs. D. Yeah, great. These are great names. I I did, I did appreciate the the gangster sci-fi yeah. gangster names. And then there's Uranian Willie, who's the uh, right. the the one who who sells them out, if I'm not mistaken, which means he's a good guy because the Nova Mob are bad. The Nova Mob are alien criminals who have basically taken over Earth, and uh, the, the the yeah author... they're 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 organisms, but they're not like physical. Uh, they're there's more ideas. Um. We're going to be discussing Scientology in this episode because there's lots of crossover. But yeah, these are basically body thetans, as you know, the right. ghosts that that possess us, but with a different origin. Well, I mean, that's a that's an idea that goes back further than Scientology, honestly. It, it's been yeah, around... yeah, but he, he definitely like there's um he was influenced by Scientology for a lot of this stuff, though he sure. was he was never a Scientologist, to my knowledge. And he uh, eventually, he, um, no, he was. He was. He them. actually. He was a clear at one point in Scientology. Oh, okay. Although that was after he wrote these books. Um, he, yeah. For a few years, he was in Scientology. Uh, he he went clear. He was in the organization. Uh, then he sort of disavowed it and renounced it and uh, and turned around and uh, and quit it. And then he was essentially excommunicated or whatever the equivalent is for uh, for uh, Scientology, um, which is which. Speaks to a, an ongoing pattern with uh, <laughs> with Burroughs, but um, before we got we get into that, uh, just just to sort of go back to what we were saying there with the the characters, um, it, it is very much in as much as there's a story, it's about uh, agents for Nova Express at least. Uh, it's about agents who come to Earth, uh, and the writer is one of them. And he literally describes the cut-up method as his means of fighting back against the Nova Mob, who have basically enslaved the Earth uh, with systems of control. And that is the obsession of the story. It's about fighting back systems of control. And um, one of those systems of control is quite literally the words, like the, the, the English or any language, uh, the way we communicate with each other. Uh, this is one of the big paradoxes of Burroughs' work and the, the the cut up trilogy is that you know he saw word as a print as a prison in the at one point he says I'm going to rub out the word he literally wants to sort of obliterate language that's actually one of the goals of the series if you can believe it um, and it was the idea that 
uh, you know, th- th- that he, uh, he uh, communicated, which was that, you know, when you make a word for something, you've diminished it, you've defined it within certain boundaries. And all of language is essentially that. This is an idea a lot of people have picked up since then. Uh, but he was basically, the reason he's written this bizarre stream of consciousness thing is to say, you know, well, you, you know, what if you, what if you expand the meanings of words? What if it all, what if you expand what makes sense and what it, what is communication and what isn't? Uh, I believe that's the actual goal that he was going for with this, with this series. Um, just to sort of, it, to see it another way, uh, you know, it was, it was a way of trying to, trying to create mind expansion um, without uh, drugs using words instead of drugs. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I didn't read like a full biography or anything, but uh, he was a, a junkie early on, early on before writing these. Um, and uh, he, he sort of kicked the habit. Um, and he apparently tried psychedelics at one point, but didn't like it. Uh, tried it well, with, uh, with the other that's, beats. Uh, I believe that's LSD specifically uh, okay. that he didn't like. Uh, there's other psychedelics he did try, uh, including some South American stuff. Um, I don't know that he specifically tried um, uh, uh, Alaska or um, what's it called? Um, peyote? Yeah, peyote. Um, I don't remember him specifically writing about that, but I'm I would be very surprised if he hadn't. Uh, there was a drug that um, uh, I believe Allen Ginsberg told him, wrote to him about, uh, which he believed would create, uh, would make him telepathic if he used it, called uh, Yage, I believe, Yage. Um, and he did do mescaline as well. Um, so he's he did, he I think he tried just about every drug you could try at that point in uh, in the 50s and early 60s. Um, you know, and he this had... Is, this is reminding me of Grant Morrison, but I like Grant Morrison's writing a lot more. I well, this is just it. I mean, me more. yeah, Morrison is very clearly uh, influenced by Burroughs. It's actually, this is the thing. I mean, you can trace a line uh, between between uh we, we are in the previous episode in previous episodes we've talked about uh the illuminatus trilogy which you know probably inspired uh the invisibles which inspired the matrix uh but you can sort of go back and trace a link backwards to the burroughs trilogy because that's also got you know insects taking over human minds controlling us uh you know the 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 freedom of human imagination being constrained by machines and insects uh, I mean, you can yeah, see yeah, like, a lot of a uh, lot of uh, Matrix parallels and um, uh, other um, um, what am what am I trying? Yeah, like the David Icke conspiracy theory stuff. Right. Um, like you can see um, it uh, precursors of some of that. And and in it's interesting because it does seem like Burroughs wasn't specifically referencing all these crazy conspiracies the way the Illuminatus guys were. Um, it kind of feels like you do these drugs and you develop these paranoid conspiracies, essentially. Uh, and that's what it's like. They, there were a number of different people who have come up with these kind of uh, explanations and ideas through doing drugs, but also maybe just uh, having mental illnesses or, 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 you know, I think it's something in human nature uh, to want to develop these conspiracy, conspiratorial ideas. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's overdeveloped uh, pattern recognition. Which is right. Pattern recognition is something we do naturally because it helps us survive, but uh, it sometimes goes overboard. Yeah. Well, and, and turns I us mean, into it's... you know Charlie from It's Always Sunny in the you know board. Right. And you know that's associated. Burroughs was clearly a, a really intelligent guy, uh, and and that is associated with you know higher intelligence. Um, Burroughs actually uh, studied anthropology uh, in medicine. I don't know if you read about his uh, his history. His family is from. Uh, is it was very wealthy because they had invented um, uh, a sort of an early adding machine. I think. Yeah, that, yeah. Um, there, there was stuff about that in the uh, one of the the intros to one of the books. Yeah, he was um, related to. I, it wasn't IBM, but it was as a competitor, right? Uh, I, yeah, I think it was just the Burroughs Corporation. And yeah. like I say, this is going way back. This might even be late 19th century. So it was so far back that you didn't have these big conglomerates. Uh, and they apparently sold all their shares in that company. So they weren't, you know, they weren't owning the company at the time when Burroughs was alive and, and, 
and doing all this stuff. But he was basically he was the heir to a, a massive fortune. And then he later wrote a book called The Adding Machine. Uh, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what that one's about. But um, he, you know, anyway, he had all this money to go uh, study and then to go around the world. Uh, you know, and and he was similar to Timothy Leary, who was a compatriot of his. Uh, they they did work to they did uh, work together, I think, or they knew each other at least. Um, and he he actually did fall out with Leary over, as we said, LSD. Uh, Leary thought LSD was kind of a, a cure-all for everything, and uh, Burroughs didn't care for it. But they 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 were both academics who started, uh, basically started up the drug culture that would then become a little more mainstream by the 60s. Uh, this was like the 30s, though, when uh, Burroughs was really uh, starting to do stuff. Um we watched uh, we watched the movie Naked Lunch, uh, me and Phil, <laughs> a while back, the David Cronenberg movie. Um, yeah, and it's 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 a de facto biography of Burroughs, although it's also not. It's a completely surreal movie, as you would expect. Uh, but a lot of the stuff, and that's it's in also there... his uh, his fictional alias uh, w- William Lee, which is uh, a character from uh, the book Naked Lunch, and also appears in the Nova Express trilogy. Right. Well, and and I haven't read Naked Lunch, um, but I know, I mean, like, William, Burroughs actually used to call himself William Lee. He used to sign letters William Lee. And yeah, Lee was I think his it's mother, one of his, like, his mother's maiden Mother's maiden name. Yeah, Lee yeah. was his mother's maiden name. And, and um, he was an exterminator, um, and he's actually said uh, in one of his letters that he wouldn't have become a writer if uh, his wife hadn't died. So that's the famous incident in the movie, which is uh, he... He, he said, let's do our William Tell act uh, to his wife, who put uh, glass on her head, and uh, he shot her instead. Although, uh, there are different accounts of that. Yeah, that yeah, I, I read apparently, uh, he also said he, he was cleaning his gun and it went off or something. Yeah. So, he was inconsistent about that. He was, uh, he was tried for manslaughter. and He was uh, uh, anti-Semitic around this time, I believe. Right, he had... Uh, he def- there, it's yeah. mostly taken out in the... Uh, because there's various edits of all these, but there are passages that uh, from uh, uh, earlier drafts, I guess, uh, where there's uh, overt anti-Semitism, yeah, uh, it, which is very unpleasant. Yeah, it, he he, uh, you know, it, it ties into the whole uh, conspiracy stuff. Um, yeah, you know, the anti-Semitism, and I mean the the, the big issue is that uh, you know he 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 was sort of chasing things he was chasing rabbits down holes left and right uh, i mean literally a heroin addict and doing all these drugs and so forth that's yeah. not to say that that explains anti-semitism but i think he would basically as we say he'd gotten to scientology i think he i think he'd grab hold of anything that that sort of seemed like wow here's a crazy new idea uh, and that is again that's kind of the danger you get into when you're when you're intellectually curious but coming from a tradition of being very privileged you start to say, you know, well, I don't feel structural oppression. Uh, I'm more interested in these crazy, weird new ideas that, you know, that that don't, you know, deal with that deal with like intellectual, high-minded ideas rather than and ignoring the world material conditions. And... Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Oh, uh, we haven't discussed his sexuality. He was openly gay, um, and uh, that's very clear in, in these books. There's yeah, yeah. But there, there's a uh, lot of there's a lot of um very uh descriptive graphic sex scenes in at right. least um uh Soft Machine well, and uh Ticket That Exploded. Less so in Nova Express. Apparently in as much as to... in as much as there's any kind of scene. It's just a lot of sexual imagery, let's say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but there's like clearly... weird sex tourism stuff in in Soft yeah. Machine and yeah. Like you, you it often describes the uh, partners as like boys, and I don't think is is like a pedophile, but like pro- probably right. younger younger men, and it's uncomfortable. I I, I want to say it sounds like he had some conflicted feelings about uh, his homosexuality for a long time, and then just kind of went screw it, and and as a result, and and this is the thing, he, he all through his life he kept, you know, going oh this will be a way. Uh, out of um, you know systems of control, and Scientology was one of them. And then he eventually 
got to the point it was like no this is just another system of control it's not it's not helping anyone escape control i think he started to feel the same way about the drug culture lsd and so on i think that's why he fell out with leary as well he felt like well this can be used to control people even if it's supposed to be mind expanding um i did want to mention uh, someone who who's who came up in the illumina another point of uh contact with the illuminatus trilogy oh hassani sabah hassani sabah yeah exactly um do you want to talk about Hassani Sabah? Oh, uh, you have a lot of stuff here. You, you might as well go on. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, so this is a guy who's popped up in pop culture a lot, uh, who's, of course, uh, the reason is because he uh, founded a sect called the Hashashim, who are the origin of our modern word uh, assassins. Uh, he was and also a, hash. And, hashish. Right. Well, no, they were called that because they took hashish. He didn't invent oh, the word okay. hashish. But like I say, so it kind of mutated into assassin. Um, and he was a, uh, so, so yeah, he was a Persian Islamic missionary, I think uh, 10th or 11th century. Um, he controlled a territory in northern Iran. And he was opposed to the caliph. He had a lot of political enemies. Um, and uh, he's often linked, as by Burroughs, to Gnosticism, which is to say, you know, the secret secret reality behind the reality of the world. And the idea of transcending reality due to the and this is partly due to um, the technique that they supposedly used to train Hashashim, which is that uh, they'd, they'd uh, be brought there as young men and uh, it, to a place called Alamut, which was his stronghold in the middle of the desert. Um, and basically he'd start training them and then they'd drug them with Hashish. Uh, they'd wake up in a beautiful garden with wonderful food and beautiful maidens waiting on them and they'd meet Hassan in that way and he would start to give them instructions uh in some versions then they'd be you know they'd wake up in a dungeon and they'd be basically treated badly and then and maybe even alternately treated badly and then drugged and brought into the garden again and told that oh you can the only way to get to the garden forever is to follow the 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 instructions of Hassan Sabah um, and you become a, he's a divine emissary, and uh, then that would train them to be, to, to do assassination missions, basically. So he got a, he got a, a cult of, uh, you know, of devoted followers. And again, the irony here is that uh, Burroughs is holding him up as someone who, you know, transcends reality, who, who portrays this new, greater reality that we can get away from. But he was doing it to control people. He was doing it to, to doctrinate people into to become his uh, his political... Uh, according to the legend, I should, ask, I should emphasize that we don't know if this is historically accurate or not. It might be kind of a, 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 an urban legend or a historical urban legend about him uh but that is supposedly what he did and that was what uh, burroughs was uh, was responding to so again you see burroughs kind of going oh wow this can we can use this to escape from our from our mental prisons but it's like yeah but the guy would <laughs> literally indoctrinate people and of course you can to, see the tie to between be his that and, uh, personal kill bots or whatever yeah exactly they were just uh, brainwashing people into killing for him right I mean, up to, you know, modern day cults do the same thing, right? Um, another uh, link that we might uh, draw, uh, again, somebody who, who pops up in Burroughs' writing uh, and who has popped up in one or two other places that connect to the kind of things we talk about is uh, Wilhelm Reich. Right, right, uh, yeah, the, the uh, Oregon guy. The Oregon guy. And as we mentioned, I think, did we mention him in the uh, Virilia episode? Uh, maybe in passing. I, I don't recall. Um, yeah, I don't that was think a while we back. did. But you read but about... it's a similar Vil idea. The, the, life, the idea of a scientifically measurable life force. Right. Yeah, he was a... He, was a, he actually studied under Sigmund Freud, Wilhelm Reich, and he was driven out of Nazi Germany. Uh, but he believed... And he actually termed the phrase... Uh, he created the term sexual revolution. Um, and But he was... And so it's similar to that idea of real energy, that there's this powerful energy drifting through the atmosphere, which uh, in his case, he believed it was linked to sexuality and that it could uh, power human sexuality and be powered by human sexuality. Um, and um, he built a box called an uh, organ accumulator, which he said would, you know, filter out everything but organ. And if you got in it, you'd get, you'd, you'd be charged with organ energy, <laughs> which would give you uh, sexual powers and, and, uh, could cure a lot oh. of diseases. 
God, yeah. I'm just thinking of the, the tent from uh, the Simpsons thing. Homer <laughs> believes it gives him sexual powers. Well, uh, that, that is essentially what he was offering, yeah. uh, for real. And Burroughs did uh, use it. Uh, he went into the, he knew uh, Reich, or he met Reich, and he uh, he went into the, uh, the Oregon. He apparently built his own later on and, uh, with different materials, but he said it worked just as well. Oh, really? I didn't know that, yeah. Oh, I might be thinking of another author. Sorry, I read the Wikipedia article today on Reich. <laughs> Um, I, I was aware of him before, but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, a bunch of people uh, went into the Oregon accumulator. It was kind of, uh, yeah, I think it, it was, um, a... apparently, uh, the, um, Devo, the band, their hats are based on Oregon accumulators. Oh, really? <laughs> so like, it's really, uh, ingrained in pop culture. Um, it's, it's quackery. I mean, there's no, oh, yeah. there's no, um, proof of this and he, he was claiming it could cure cancer and stuff and yeah it's actually albert einstein uh, at the time went uh, to check it out and declared that he didn't he didn't find it to have any actual relevance to anything that <laughs> right yeah was it's one of those things where may, at the time it was probably worth looking into but like he staked his whole life on it and um yeah. it became one of those things where like at, at a certain point, you you know the sunk cost fallacy. Like, yeah. spent too much time on this that you just can't admit that maybe there's nothing to it. Well, it, as with as with Scientology, Burroughs was then like, well, I think this has validity. Uh, you know, so he said, there's, you know, I have problems with it, but I think it also has validity. Uh, you know, that's yeah. He that's... describes the whole what, what we just went through, but without the criticisms he puts in the book as right. um, explaining, you know, the. And yeah. he talks about uh, them shutting him down after he said it could cure cancer is a bad thing. I, I think yeah. that's uh, that's a reasonable thing for the FDA to do if if you think that sort of thing should ex you know the FDA <laughs> should exist you know that's what they should exist for you know. Right. Um, yeah, it's the basis of all this that sort of like oh they have a, a car that runs on water and they have all this secret stuff the technology that they don't want people to have it's you know burroughs was one of the <laughs> the people who contributed to that kind of mindset in many yeah. ways um which you know it's again it's it's the kind of thing where you take the germ of truth and common sense and it spins off in some weird directions um and but burroughs was actually he he did quite thoroughly insist that you know Oh no! The human will can shape external events. He was—he never gave up on, on insisting that all the way to the end, and he was very, uh, very loud about that. And he said, and he—I mean, even going back to before all this stuff, he was a big believer in magic and the occult, and you know, in many ways, that shaped his thinking uh, more than anything else. He believed that his—you know—he was casting spells through his books. Essentially, that's part of what the cut-up method is as well. Um, Oh, and I should mention that the cut-up technique, uh, it's, it, we're, we're talking about these books, but Burroughs was trying to apply it to many different media at the time, uh, and that's actually crucial to it. Like, he made short films uh, with uh, a guy named... Uh, uh, and Anthony Belch. Anthony Belch, yeah, that was the... Uh, or Balk? Or Balk, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, it's he a was C -H. Yeah, he was the director of a number of films that starred Burroughs and used his words, and they also used cut-up technique, which is pretty logical for film. I mean, that was actually probably where Burroughs got the idea, because he used... Um, uh, oh, uh, apparently... Well, it partially comes from uh, Scientology, because they use um, similar techniques for the... Uh, uh, oh, what do they call it? The... Um, auditing? How you get clear. They, they, the auditing, yes. They, they use that... Uh, uh, tape recorders. You talking well, about your history into tape recorders, and they sort of cut it up and mess ah, with reality that way. Right. Well. Well. So, but whether it's audio tape or video film, uh, they wouldn't have had videotape at the time. But it's the same basic idea that once you've got that media uh, that moves in time as well as space, uh, you can then edit it and cut it up and and rearrange it. Like yeah. th that was something that you couldn't have done, you know, before the invention of film. And I think yeah. Excuse me. Burroughs was looking at that and trying to trying to incorporate it into uh, into the, the the writings that he was doing. And the yeah. The, the, um, the... Also, he credits uh, cut up method to Brian Geisen, who was an artist and right. um, uh, he did painter music and stuff. Yeah, experiments in that, and he he worked closely with him for quite a while. 
Right. And he's mentioned yeah. frequently in these books. So yeah, Brian, Brian Geisen was so. is is literally the creator. It wasn't Burroughs; it was Geisen who created the cutout method. And yeah, and again, he he talks about it. And again, this is literally in the book. He basically describes it as a method of escaping linear time, uh, which is which makes a certain amount of sense. You're you know, the, instead of moving forward, the film it's you know you jump forward and back, and you you splice in all these random images and so forth, and you've stopped moving in a certain direction. Uh, yeah, one of the know, you, uh, one of the few outright narrative sections in the first book of the trilogy, the Soft Machine, um, they actually somebody actually time travels using these methods, like right. literally time travels, and as a the Mayan caper uh, gets involved right. with a Mayan cult to worship centipedes and yeah. sort of connected with the whole Minrod thing. Yeah, have we literally... have we explained this the Minrod thing, the crab well, Minrod, Minrod and all this. Isn't that the planet that the Nova Mob comes from? Uh, the yeah, um, or came from last anyway. They 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 uh, blew it up and that created the the Crab Nebula, uh, and that's how they got to Earth. And they're planning to do the same thing with Earth to blow up our solar system so they can escape into another part of space. Right, a Nova, as it were. And it's, yes. again, it's interesting to note that that is essentially the bad guys' plan in the Illuminatus trilogy as well. They want to, at or at least they want to kill everyone on Earth to uh, immunitize the uh, what's it, eschaton. 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 Yeah. yeah. Immunitize the eschaton, and um, the the they uh, it's this it's the same idea that it's a system of control. I mean, this is not exactly <laughs> rocket scientist science to anyone who's lived on Earth, but the idea just that. You know the people who are in control. Uh, you know it ends in the cult of death, basically. Yeah, um, it's also the plot of a Doctor Who episode. From... <laughs> it's been it's come up a lot, <laughs> and he brings up the Mayans. By the way, Burroughs may have been. Uh, it's not a hundred percent clear, but he may have been the originator of the idea that the world would end in twenty twelve. Oh uh, God. Because that's because that's the end of the Mayan calendar. Um, it's actually and, not, but. <laughs> I I know, but it, like I said, I think it it seems to have come yeah. from. Uh, Burroughs, and he was, you know... That's an idea was... that's still sticking around. I saw somebody claim that uh, because of leap years, we're still in 2012, and that explains <laughs> everything. Um, that the Mayans did not have leap years. Anyway. <laughs> the Mayans didn't have leap years. Well, wait. I'm, I don't know. I mean, you'd think... No, they no, were... they apparently rounded down uh, the, the year, the days of the year. All right. Okay. So it's um, like way off anyway, so... Well, and Timothy Leary also, again, he had that idea of uh, a time wave. Uh, I'm forgetting the exact uh, phrase he used for it, but this idea that there was a uh, a historical uh, space-time curve that was uh, slowly getting uh, steeper and steeper and would end in the end of the world or a transformation of the world or something like that. And that we've, we're hitting that point now. Um, so uh, you have to assume Burroughs was somewhat inspired by that as well. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, apocalypse stuff goes back way, way back to, you know, probably to the dawn of history. Everybody thinks they're living in the end times. You know, <laughs> we, we see that with all the, uh, uh, you know, they, they, uh, with, you know, in the Bible, uh, Jesus saying, you know, the people, standing here will be will still be alive when when the second coming happens um or judgment day um yeah and uh they've you know christianity this is an aside but uh uh there's sort of stories about that that's where the wandering jew story came came from because he's one member of the, that audience who got cursed to be immortal so that so it's technically true that somebody was still alive when the uh when judgment right. day will come Right, right. With Leary, it wasn't necessarily just apocalyptic. It was just kind of a, you know, he. It was just a belief that you know human culture was accelerating essentially, okay. and that mental. I don't. I. I don't know the details of it, but it, it, it's. It's a little more than just apocalyptic, uh, or it's apocalyptic, but in the alternate. Yeah, sense in the of sense being, of revelation, like right, like the exactly. literal meaning. Okay. Right, um. Right. Right. The um, uh, uh, ticket that exploded, which is either the second or third book in the trilogy, there's some uh, ticket that exploded was actually written third. Like Nova Express was written second, but Nova Express was also released third. So no, well, actually, so Soft Machine was this uh, appropriately enough. The order is uh, confusing, and but uh, yes, yeah, Soft Machine was actually kind of written first and pub and published in 
partial formats in like the equivalent of zines at the time. Mm. Uh, but it but it was revised and then revised again, and then Nova Express was published before the other two, even though the other two had been worked on. So it's it's very hard to nail no, no, down ticket a publication. that exploded was published before Nova Express. I know that. Well, that's the no because this is the thing in England. Uh, Soft oh, Machine okay. yeah. was published first, and then Ticket that Exploded, and then Nova Express in America. But those were kind of uh, again, they were very underground publishing, so they weren't the official quote versions that we got later, which were heavily revised. No, in in America, in the quote formal version, Nova Express is the first one to have been published in its current form, basically. So it, it's extremely hard to nail down a publication history for this thing. Uh, yeah, apparently there are uh, three versions of Soft Machine and two versions of the Ticket, mm-hmm. and uh, Nova Express is the only one that only has one version. I right, think. right. And at one so point, it's he also very confusing. But yeah, anyway, what I was saying, the the Ticket that exploded has um, uh, sites. Uh, uh, Henry Kuttner's uh, novel Fury. Uh, Kuttner was uh, the husband of C.L. Moore, who we discussed in the oh. um, um, Northwest Smith episode recently. Oh, okay, cool. So, just a weird connection there. Oh, that's neat. I didn't. I actually missed that. That was uh, that was part. Yeah, of the he's point, he's but... cited directly in, in, um, in the ticket that exploded. There's also a part in the ticket that exploded early on where. Uh, where a character says they're reading a science fiction novel called The Ticket That Exploded. Right, right. Well, at Which one is... point he he was literally saying um, the trilogy consists of Naked Lunch, Soft Machine, and Nova Express. And The Ticket That Exploded got added later as part of the trilogy. So he was also confusing over you know what the trilogy even consists of. <laughs> yeah, and, and the idea that it's, it's a trilogy is a little sort of a, more of a marketing thing than an intent going in. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's three books he wrote using the same, uh, like he used the the same uh, substance of his writing. I don't know how else to describe it. The stuff that he'd written in Tangiers that he uh, cut and up. The and word edited. horde, right? Yeah, the word horde. Um, so they, in that sense, they are linked together. But yeah, I mean, just a, a personal thing. When I was a, a kid, we had a. You know, remember the very early days of CD-ROMs? They had these things that weren't. They weren't 100% games. They were kind of like multimedia experiences that were, you know, that you weren't necessarily playing towards a goal or something. Did you did you ever see any of those in the sort of I early to mid so. 90s? Um, there was one that was at the Edgar Allan Poe CD-ROM, and it was your and it was basically you're moving around a house. I guess it had an objective, but basically you're 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 experiencing the poems and and imagery from Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, but you would literally go into these areas, and you could hear. Uh, his poems being read, including, and, uh, uh, William Burroughs was reading, uh, the poems of, uh, Edgar Allan Poe, including Annabelle Lee and uh, a few others. Uh, so that's how I, that's actually probably the first time I ever experienced William S. Burroughs was him reading, uh, Annabelle Lee and these other things. And he had a very, as you, as you could hear, you can see the films that he made on YouTube, by the way, Tower, Towers Open Fire is one of them. And, um, the, I think he, he does start, a voice in in the movie Naked Lunch as well, right? He voices well, the... no, uh, it sounds not according to IMDb, but the the, okay. the the voice of the typewriter bug uh, is sounds like it was meant to sound like him on okay. purpose. Uh, I don't think it was actually him, but that was probably uh, a nod to him because he had a very distinctive croaky, uh, yeah, kind of high It sounded voice. like uh, the way he did in that film uh, I watched. Um, yeah, it just uh, I because uh, we watched that uh, over streaming, and you typed that it was it sounded like him. So yeah, there's no way to say it. He kind of sounds like Popeye. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, I thought he sounded Popeye. sort of like a weird, like an alien robot. Yeah. Well, he the the him and the other beats whenever they did readings because I've heard um, Ginsburg reading Howl as well, the poem uh, that he he was busted on for obscenity charges. And uh, they all had this very monotonous uh, style of reading that was, again, the idea was to sort of surpass your conscious mind and and just f- lull you into a hypnotic state almost. Uh, so I think uh, that was a, that was a deliberate... Uh, I don't know what reading. having a monotone voice is like, but... Uh... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> there um... you go. You're a beat poet by... by, uh, by, by you were born to it. There you go. Um, uh... 
Well, that, they they considered that a great uh, thing, like I said. And there's there's a scene in Naked Lunch where the character who's probably based on Allen Ginsberg is reading uh, um, poetry in that same sort of monotonous tone while two other characters are having sex. <laughs> Basically, he's reading it to them. Uh, and again, I think the idea was to, you know, so we can get super orgasms if we enter into this heightened state via reading my poetry. <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of sums it all up, Almost really. literally masturbatory. Yes! And that's... The thing is... And the thing is, I'm not sure... I wouldn't say they were completely unaware of what what we're saying now, uh, you know, 50 years later, but that is really... It is it is kind of self-indulgent at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and I think that's... I think they probably knew to an extent that it was self-indulgent, too. But, uh, you know, they were... But at the same time, it was... You know, you got to experiment uh, to push sort of the boundaries of... of of uh, art forward as well, but at the time it can you can produce something that that maybe doesn't uh, reach your audience as well. I you know that's always my problem with something that's really aggressively experimental. Like it it is contingent on the audience to do some of the work and try a lot to of the find... work in this case. Yeah. Well, that's exactly it. It's a trade off. Like you can have something that's very accessible and you're connecting with the audience, but you're just sort of you're not challenging them or you can have something that's very challenging and the audience has to work like heck to get through to the, you know, to the meaning or to what you're trying to do. But you also have to wonder, is like, is it worth it? You know, is it worth it for me <laughs> to spend all this time? You know, we, we barely scratched the surface of everything Burroughs was probably trying to do in these books. Yeah. Um, what the introduction to one of them said, uh, the best way to read this is to read it a bunch of times and you take away something different each time. But, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 a question of, you know, you can't think less of someone who's like, is this worth it, though? Is Bur You know, it, and unquestionably, Burroughs has had this huge impact on uh, pop culture. I actually wanted to mention, uh, I, I already mentioned the link with the Illuminatus and the Matrix and the Invisibles, uh, but he was also like, uh, he influenced David Bowie. David Bowie wrote some of his uh, lyrics via cut-up method. Uh, the Iggy Pop song, uh, uh, Lust, Lust for, for life. life. Yeah, it takes a lot of its lyrics, and of course, the fact that it's about heroin uh, comes from Burroughs. It's a reference. Yeah, to uh, actually, the the song is basically about uh, "Ticket That Exploded." It, right, Johnny exactly. Yen's from the book, and it, it has a lot of lines directly taken from it. So sure. that that's interesting. Yeah. I was uh, I actually uh, listened to that because I I don't think I had heard the whole song before because. Uh, I just sort of knew it from like trailer music, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's just the chorus, and so it was. It was interesting actually hearing the song. I, I'm not yeah. uh, a music expert by any means. Um, well, so, it explains uh, why the lyrics are so sort of fragmented and weird and yeah. advertising chickens. What? But again, yeah. it's it's from Burroughs. That's from and, the book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and um, I mean, Michael Moorcock, uh, who we've mentioned before, he wrote Elric. Uh, he when he wrote his Jerry Cornelius novels. Uh, he wasn't specifically using the cutout method, but he had some somewhat similar ideas. Uh, one of the books, literally every chapter, and I think the prompt for every chapter, uh, had its title uh, taken from a tabloid magazine. Like, he would tear out a, a headline from a tabloid, and he would use that to sort of guide the story, and that would be the, the title of each chapter as he went along, for instance. Um, which is, that's kind of cool, I think. Like, it's a much more coherent story, basically. Uh, but, you know, there's something to that idea of just pulling from the ether and pulling randomness and, and trying to uh, arrange it in ways that can spur your creativity and, and, and allow things to flow through. And of course, any, any writer, uh, you know, the, the, the new wave of science fiction up to cyberpunk uh, in science fiction, you know, just this sort of more surrealist prose uh, is definitely inspired by, by Burroughs in general, I think. Uh, uh, also, from, um, I don't think we've mentioned Grant Morrison, but I don't think we've directly mentioned Alan Moore, who's uh, definitely influenced by by this. There's actually um, in Watchmen, the major newspaper is called the Nova Express. Mm. So uh, anyway, like we should wrap it up, but I did just want to say, like, yeah, that's it's. Um, I think uh, much of pop culture that we've seen that in goes back to Burroughs has been a process of kind of trying to make his. Uh, ideas a little more digestible, which ironically he he probably would have hated that actually because the whole point to him was to to sort of he talks about the wheel of time life fortune and that's he means you know 
them in the standard sense, but he's also literally referencing these uh, magazines that were out at the time. Uh, who And were owned t- by the same guy. Right. And it was a media conglomerate, and he was he was arguing about how they would, you know, they would control the media narrative, which he was of course one hundred percent right about. Um, and this he would was... have loved Murdoch. <laughs> well, I mean, at least this guy wasn't, you know, actively promoting a, you know, a right wing uh, reactionary viewpoint. But it was just the idea of like, well, we control the story of history. We control everything. It was a system of control mm-hmm. which he was trying to fight against. But of course, the irony is that you. Again, like I say, if you go to meet your audience halfway and, you know, you can you can infect them, as it were, with these ideas and, and uh, they can have a bit more of an impact, maybe. Uh, and that's what people have been trying to do. I think people have been trying to read Burroughs and, and, and filter it into a way that maybe, you know, it, it has filtered into our pop cultural consciousness uh, over the years. In, uh, but this is the original raw source, which can be a little hard to parse for most people. So uh, there you go. If I think if you if you didn't want to read it and you just wanted to uh, rely on the many influences that he's had, I think that would be okay in 2020. But he's certainly an original. Well, the towers are opening fire and the words and photos are falling. So it's time for What Mad Universe to come to a close. We are Adam Prosser, the Neon Centipede. And Philip Rice, agent of the Nova Police. Thanks again to our engineer and producer, Alex Ross, who controls the Wheel of Time, Life, Fortune. And the Purple Fungoid Gills of Jack Furick, who wrote the theme song. As always, this show is available a week early on our Patreons. Uh, not this particular one, but because we had a bit of an issue. Uh, but this is going to go up uh, immediately. But uh, usually, if you subscribe to our Patreons, you can get it um, a week early. Just look under Philip Rice or Adam Prosser at patreon.com. Or go to Never Sleeps Network slash series slash what dash mad dash universe for the links. If you sign up, you also get comics, illustrations, and other stuff, and you'll help us afford the hosting and recording costs. Uh, you can also get this podcast via iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your podcaster of choice. And if you enjoy it, please leave a review. It would also help us if you'd spread the word about what mad universe, tell your friends, or link to us on social media. Philip's on Twitter as spearhafok underscore with an F. I'm Prankster36, and and, uh, the show itself is WMU Podcast. Until next time, remember, nothing is true, and everything is permitted.